you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Hey, everybody, what's going on? DJ Bucky here, Move the Sticks, as we head into a big weekend of NFL football and college football. Buck, what's going on, man? Not too much, man. Everything is good on my end. I'm, I'm just really excited to talk about uh, these young players, we had the quarter mark. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at your rookie rankings through the first four games of the season. Uh, we're going to have a discussion about athletic centers versus power centers. We're going to talk to David Pelequin, FaceTime interview director, player personnel with Notre Dame. And then we're going to go back and go through some of your old reports, little hits and misses. That's always very popular on the podcast. And then, you know, we're going to look ahead to the college game, talk about the guys that we're looking at, the guys that can really help themselves with the 2020 draft. Yeah, no, it's going to be a fun one. And David Pelequin, um, somebody who's been at Notre Dame since 2000, has been through a couple different uh, regimes there. But, man, you look at the players Notre Dame has turned out, especially on the offensive line, they've got the secret sauce there. So it's my mission in this conversation with him to kind of figure out what it is with Notre Dame and offensive linemen, how they've been able to be uh, so successful. And you mentioned the, uh, the hits and misses, Buck. I, I tweeted out yesterday and just said, hey, you know, every now and then, maybe once a year, I like to kind of – uh, fire it off on Twitter. Hey, what can, what can we do to make the podcast better? What what do you guys want? And uh, that came up. Hits and misses. We haven't done it in a long time, and a lot of folks said they enjoyed that. So uh, we'll have some fun uh, reading a couple reports, see if you can figure out who we're talking about there. Guy, uh, give you one guy that I got right and one guy that I got way wrong. So um, we'll have some fun with that. Uh, as we start off, though, here, Buck, I, I did uh, I did knock out the quarter rankings here for the rookies. And uh, full disclosure, look. Do I get a chance to watch and study every single rookie in the NFL? No. Uh, I watch as many of them as I can, and some guys pop across your screen. Other times you get texts or phone calls from uh, personnel uh, departments, hey, you need to watch this guy or that guy. Uh, so I do my best to watch as much of it as I can and and, uh, and pull this thing together with the top 25 list. And right there at the top, you know, I don't, I don't really care where you're picked. It's just how you've played and the impact you've had on your team. And I don't know that anybody's had a bigger impact on their team than Gardner Minshew, so he's number one. Hey, he should be number one. Uh, the energy that he has brought to the locker room, um, 
has been significant. It's, it's, it's been felt. You can feel it when you watch the Jaguars play. They're beginning to take on his identity, particularly on offense. This is a guy who bounced around several different colleges throughout his collegiate career, but then he goes to Wazoo, plays as a standout performer in Mike Leach's offense, uses that to kind of propel himself. He becomes a six-round pick. And I think what has happened, because he has so many reps throwing the ball under Mike Leach, the NFL game is not too much for him. And so when he's been put in these situations where he's had to lead the team back, play uh, no huddle two-minute, it's within his comfort zone. And he does a great job of processing information but also getting the ball out quickly. Um, look, it's, it's, it's a very impressive start for Garner Minshew, one that I don't think anyone uh, necessarily could have predicted for him. Well, when I go through just kind of the top five list here, um, starting with Minshew at number one, really I think it's it's interesting because you look at these teams coming into the offseason last year, some um, some needs that they that they wanted to address, and I think when you look at these five players, I think it speaks to it because they had a, a void, and these guys have filled it. So Minshew, number one, obviously the Jags need a better quarterback play. They went out and paid Nick Foles what they paid him. Unfortunately, he goes down with injury, but Minshew's been, quite, quite frankly, been better, I think, than even they would have got from Nick Foles. Uh, number two on the list, Darnell Savage. This Green Bay Packers defense wanted more speed, wanted more playmakers. Uh, he's added that to the back end of that defense. Uh, number three on the list, the Giants, you know, trying to address that future quarterback. We talked about it in the past. Should they have taken uh, uh, Sam Darnold? They elected to go with Saquon Barkley. We had that debate back and forth. Uh, a lot of pressure on them to get it right in this year's draft. They took Daniel Jones with the sixth pick, did not wait for him to potentially uh, have somebody else take them ahead of their 17th pick. So they went ahead and grabbed him at six. And so far, uh, really good on the early returns from Daniel Jones. Number four, Devin Bush. Ever since, and we talked about it in the run-up to the draft last year, Buck, when you, when you look at the, the linebacker position for them, after the unfortunate incident there at the linebacker spot, they, they just did not have speed there. They had to address the speed at the second level of their defense. Uh, Devin Bush has done that in a big way. Even though the wins haven't piled up, uh, he's had an impact on that defense. Then fifth, finally, TJ Hawkinson, uh, Detroit, when Matt Patricia and, uh, and Bob Quinn came in there. Uh, they talked about wanting to develop a more physical identity. They wanted to kind of, you know, morph into what they had with the Patriots. And T.J. Hawkinson has more than uh, filled that role, somebody that can help him in the run game, who's been uh, really quite good in the passing game as well. Yeah, he has absolutely helped them kind of flip their uh, identity. This is a team that wants to be a blue-collar team. They want to play behind their, their defense, and they want to play behind that physical running game. Hadn't been able to consistently be able to do that for the past years, but we're beginning to see signs of the Detroit Lions being that physical team, being that team that can impose their will. And so Hawkinson was part of what we said would be a cultural shift. I think we can kind of see that culture beginning to take shape in Detroit. Any other uh, any other names on there stand out to you, Buck, before we move this thing along? You know, the funny thing, DJ, as I'm, I'm scrolling through, um, Brian Burns from the Carolina Panthers at eight, he um, – is impressive yeah. to me just because I, I worried about his size in terms of just like, look, I knew he was cat-like quick. I knew he had speed. But in terms of being able to ward off blockers or shed and disengage and make plays, he, he's, he's been much better than I would have expected. Yeah, he's been really good. A lot of folks in the comments thought he should have been higher on that list. Um, drawing that comparison between him and Nick Bosa. Look, I, I I watch Burns. I like Burns a lot. I think he's played well. Um, I I just I think you you can't get caught up in the stat sheet. Nick Bosa. We've talked about it, Buck. When you watch those 49er games, um, especially you watch him against Pittsburgh. I mean, he dominated that football game, forcing turnovers with his pressure. I think he was leading all pass rushers and pressures. You know, after three weeks, and he was only a part-time player. So, um, you know, obviously they had a bye last week, so the numbers don't add up there in terms of um, you know three versus four. But uh, he's been, as advertised, been pretty darn good. So uh, good good look so far for all those pass rushers in that class. Uh, you know, Cleveland Farrell hasn't – he didn't make my list. Um, nope. Yeah, I think that – I think what you're seeing from him is kind of what we thought, right? I mean, I, I think you're looking at somebody that most teams would have thought was a late one, maybe an early two, um, that the you know the Raiders wanted to take for other reasons than, than what he does on the field. They wanted to get somebody that they um, you know could be a leader in that locker room, kind of be a glue guy. Um, a foundational player is a term that, that Mayock used. And he's been fine. He's a steady, steady, solid player. You just don't see a lot of impact plays. And I think that was kind of the expectation. You know, DJ, the, the, the funny thing about Farrell, and when we go back and we look at our reports, look, he was, he was a good player. He was an impact player for the Tigers, but he also was surrounded by a lot of blue-chip 
talents. And now what you see when you take him out of that environment, maybe he wasn't the catalyst to the playmaking that took place at Clemson. And so when I look at Farrell and I look at the struggles that he's having, look, maybe they got a good player and maybe the light will come on. Um, maybe not this year, maybe it comes on next year. And the character says that, look, he's going to be a solid pro, but he certainly hasn't given them that immediate impact that you would like to get, you would like to have when you get a guy in the top ten. I'm going back and looking at my notes, and, and keep in mind, I had him. He was my 19th overall player, so ended up being the fourth overall pick. I said, you know, you know, late first, early second round where most teams had him. I was a little bit higher on him than that as 19 overall, but my notes, hand up, hand down. Um, so he stood up, also was in a, in a three-point. Um, a nice dip, rip, very active hand, strong at the point of attack in the run game. Um, good, not great um, athletic ability, change of direction. And this was the interesting note, Buck. I, I think a lot of people are going to forget this. He had a turf toe and did not run a 40. And when you talk to people around the league, the expectation was he was not going to run well. Um, which is going to be interesting for, for future cases. You remember when Jarvis Jones was coming out of Georgia and same, everybody kind of knew he wouldn't run well? Didn't He didn't run at the combine. He ended up running his pro day and ran really slow, um, and people thought maybe that could have impacted his draft status a little bit. Um, and now you look at this case, Cleveland Farrell, a lot of people said hey, he's not going to run fast, doesn't run at all. He ends up being the fourth pick. So if you're a college player who's a productive player, a good player, and you know you're not going to test well, Man, how do you not how do you not consider going this route and just saying, you know what, I just don't feel right. I'm not going to be able to run. Just go off my just tape. don't test. Just uh, just don't test. Um, and, I, and well, I think now if you're an evaluator, I think those you have to list, listen to the whispers that are out there on the streets uh, when you hear um, yeah. those negative reports about guys can't run and and those things. You have to be able to look at the tape and see do you, do you notice speed and quickness being an issue? Was he a player? that was more of an effort energy guy as opposed to a superior athlete. Those things factor into the thing because even though we talk about the production being a big part of it, the traits, the athleticism, the explosiveness, all of those things matter, particularly when you're talking about a pass rusher. It will be interesting to see how this plays out for some of the other guys um, as they come through. Yeah, no, it's uh – Interesting discussion, something to keep an eye on as we head towards the spring. Uh, we're going to get to David Pelliquin here in my interview with him uh, from Notre Dame here in just a moment. But before we get to him, you know, you're going to have a, uh, you know, you're talking about offensive linemen at Notre Dame being a theme. And, and when I look around the league, Buck, and you see who's playing, who's playing well, we talk about it all the time. We talked about it just on the previous episode about being able to scout for scheme and, and how guys fit. And I was it, the way I get to this, I was watching the Michigan Center Ruiz. Uh, who's, who's a good football player. He's got a chance to be a top three-round pick. Um, a power player, though. A little bit bigger, a little bit, a lot more power-based. Not going to want him doing a lot of stuff at the second level. You're not going to really want him pulling outside. So I was talking to a former O-line coach in the NFL about this. Um, you know, the difference between having an undersized athletic center versus a, a power center. And really, two great examples. Kelsey with the Chiefs, right? He's the athletic center that can pull and do all kinds of crazy stuff at the second and third level. And then you look at the Dallas Cowboys, Travis Frederick, who's a, who's a power player. He's a people mover. Um, two totally different players. And I don't know if Travis Frederick would be as good in, in Philadelphia. And I don't necessarily think Kelsey would be as good in Dallas. You've got to be able to identify uh, what you need to play. Um, and those are two totally different styles that teams are playing with. Yeah, it, it man, most important part of the evaluation when you're working for a team is fit and scheme. Does this player's talents and skills fit the way that we would ask him to play in our scheme. And if it doesn't fit, you have to move on and find another player. It's really one of the reasons why uh, you can go to two draft boards and notice that players aren't ranked the same. It's because you value them differently based on how you're going to ask them to play. And I think it's important to keep those things in mind as it relates to centers and interior guys. Typically, your athletic centers, your guys that can move and maybe pin and pull and even get all the way outside and lead, those guys should excel in those zone schemes where you're allowing them to be the athletes so they can climb and get to the next level. Your power players are your mauler brawlers. They play in more of a power-based system, a system that's really dependent on um, the power, the counter. They want to just down block and move people off the ball and uproot them. So Travis Frederick is a great example because that's exactly how the Dallas Cowboys have wanted to play. And so as you're – making these reports and as you're doing 
those lists, you need to be able to categorize where guys fit. And some guys can fit in both buckets. Some guys can only fit in one bucket. But you have to know what they are. So when you make the presentation to your general manager and your director of player personnel, you're able to tell them, this is how this guy plays for us because we are this kind of team. We rank him higher than some of the other guys because he's a better fit. As I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about uh, the different ways on the media side of things, right? So we're not working for a team. You're trying to rank players and evaluate players. And the way that I'm looking at it, Buck, instead of, instead of us producing an in-and-out menu, right? In-and-out, great great yep. food, but there's not many options on that menu, right? You get hamburger, cheeseburger, fries, that's it. You know, there's nothing else on that menu. Maybe we need to make it a, a little bit bigger menu. You know, instead of saying, you know, like you're mentioning, center position, let's rank all the centers in the draft. Maybe, maybe we should split that up. You know, here's kind of the power centers. Here are the more athletic centers. We've talked about it with wide receivers. Uh, here's your outside receiver. Here's your slot receiver. Here's your big receiver. You know, here's your, you know, your, your, your basketball team, as we like to talk about. Here's your power forward. Yes. And here's your point guards. You know, splitting those up corners. You know, here's your, big, here's your big, tall, long, athletic corners, and here's your undersized, feisty, quick, competitive corners. Probably going to be more your nickels. But just stacking these guys up in different – in more categories, I guess I should say. If you think about the fact if you're creating a menu – um, maybe maybe we should create a menu with more options is what I'm getting at. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think if you, wanna, if you want to give yourself the best opportunity to maximize the talent that is available, I think it's not only categorizing um, players and prospects into different buckets, but it's also having a coaching staff that is comfortable varying their styles meaning they're adept at coaching different schemes to maximize the talents of their players. That would be the best thing. If not, you have to have a narrow focus and know exactly what fits into your your scheme, what fits into your system. Now, this would go to those teams that we hear about that on their draft board they may only have 75 names because they know their system so well. They know how to pinpoint exactly who fits what they're going to ask those players to do, and it works for them. Other teams have to cast a, a wider or bigger net. They believe in having 215. Uh, some some will go down to that 150 to 215 range in terms of number of prospects on the board because they open it up a little bit more. So it, it really depends on who you work for, what their overarching philosophy is. But I do believe you have to categorize people in the right uh, position in the right skill sets before you can rank them and say these are the best guys for our team. Well, I want to see if you agree with me on this um, because often we're asked about the difference between recruiting, you know, recruiting high school kids for colleges versus drafting college kids for the NFL. I, I believe when you're at the college level, there's something to be said for we're going to find the best athletes and we'll, when they, we'll figure it out when they get here. What are they going to be, a receiver, a corner? What, you know, what, what are they going to be, a guard, a tackle? You know what, we're going to bring them in here. We'll figure it out when they get here because there's a lot of development to take place. I think from the NFL standpoint, it is a huge mistake if when you draft a kid, you do not know exactly what role he is going to play on your football team. You better have that figured out right away because I've got way too many examples of offensive linemen that have been drafted. And you're like, is he a guard? Is he a tackle? I don't know. You know we'll kind of figure that out. He's a good player. We'll figure out what he's going to be for us. How many times has that failed? Uh, you know, I, I could go on a bunch of different positions. I, I think that's the difference between uh, recruiting and drafting. So it's funny. I have a great story to tell, and you'll know this because you see him every weekend for the Chargers. Thomas Davis. Thomas Davis, when I was with yep. the Carolina Panthers, we drafted Thomas Davis. Thomas Davis was a big, athletic, freak uh, defender at the University of Georgia. He was so big and athletic that, he was a, a, a kind of a tweener player, like a safety linebacker type. So in the run-up to the draft, we talked about Thomas Davidson, like, hey, man, we're going to p- take this guy, and he'll be a safety um, force, and he's big and he's physical, kind of give us that old-school enforcer presence. Now, keep in mind, the game wasn't uh, still – it has it, it shifted, but it hadn't fully shifted to the passing game. So we drafted Thomas yeah. Davis, 14 overall. We bring him in. We put him at safety. And he is a fish out of water. He, despite his athleticism <laughs> and movement skills, he wasn't a natural defensive back. And so he could be the eighth guy in the box, but he's really a linebacker. And so 
we really wasted his rookie season because we had him in a position that wasn't good for him. So he couldn't really get on the field. He couldn't crack the starting lineup. He couldn't make plays. The second season, we put him at linebacker, and he kind of found his way. But it's the classic case of looking at a great athlete and the coaches coming in and saying, oh, man, if we get him, we can do this and we can do that. And then when you bring him in, there wasn't a clear plan for him. And so he kind of slipped through the cracks. And we really wasted his first season or two in Carolina. Yeah, you almost kind of, the way you describe it, Buck, it's almost like you kind of fell into him, you know, with his fallback, kind of falling back into the linebacker position. And here he is all these years later. Uh, he's been a phenomenal, phenomenal pro borderline Hall of Famer uh, with, with how great he's played. But that's probably, I think that's probably one of the few success stories, though, right, where you, you bring in a guy um, without having that designated plan or a, a, the, the actual plan that ended up working out. Normally, it's hard, man. If you if you don't peg what this guy's going to be and plug him in and get him going, it's hard for those guys to be successful. Very hard. And I, I, I will say this. 80% of the league, like people hate the term system guys, 80% of the league are system guys. If they are in the right yeah. system, they can carve out a nice career because the system kind of master deficiencies and allows them to play to their strengths. And – it's just really important. I mean, it's a bit of a crapshoot as a player that you go to the right system, you go to the right team with the right coach that understands how to t- take advantage of your talents. Because if you don't, you get in there and you just kind of get caught up in the, I mean, you just kind of get caught up in the wash cycle. And if you don't make enough plays, you can kind of fall out of there. And so I just believe that when the front office and the coaching staff are working together, they're working in unison, they're able to identify exactly who plays for the Ravens or exactly who plays for the Panthers. It just minimizes the risks that come along with drafting players in this draft. Hey, no doubt. I can remember uh, when Michael Huff – remember Michael Huff coming out of Texas? Oh, my god! And there was a yeah. lot of talk about him. Remember that one? There was a lot of talk about him, whether he was a safety, whether he was a corner. And in Baltimore at that Super time, we athletic, had yeah. two really good safeties. So we already had Ed Reed, and I think we might have had DeJuan Landry at that time. Anyways, we, we had two we, – we were set at safety. We didn't need a safety. In our corners, I think we were great there because we had McAllister, and we might have had Samari Roll or whatever. Um, and so in that case, like Rex Ryan was trying to sell the room on Michael Huff. And the way he did it, he got up on the board and was like, look, if we draft Michael Huff – and at this time – you know, a lot of teams doing this now, but at this time this was crazy. He's like, we're going to yeah. play with three safeties. We're going to play with three safeties, and Michael Huff's going to be yep. lined up here. And he showed us how he would be used in the, in the system and how – and it was like, okay. So now as a, as a scouting department, we can look at it and say, if we bring this player in, we know how we're going to use him and what we're going to do. And I think that's one of the reasons, quite honestly, the Ravens have been as good at drafting players as anybody else because um, they try not to bring in a guy into the building that they don't already have a plan for. Yeah, you have to have a plan. I, I think we can look right now at Lamar Jackson, and we can say yeah. that the Baltimore Ravens had a plan for him. Now, I don't know if this was the plan that they had when they drafted him, but I think you, it, it's clear to see that the Baltimore Ravens have built the team with Lamar Jackson in mind. You talked about, hey, you need to surround him with a track team. Well, they went and got a track team and surrounded him with a track team. Like, they're as fast as any team on the perimeter with Hollywood Brown kind of being the headliner. Then – because he's inaccurate, hey, man, we got to give him some big-body tight ends to make sure that he's comfortable he can hit it over the middle of the field. Well, they got a couple of those, Hayden Hurst and Mark Andrews. Then you think about the scheme. And what they did is, rather than fit Lamar Jackson into their scheme, they <laughs> took Lamar Jackson and said, okay, we'll build the scheme around him. And we're seeing Lamar Jackson in his second year looks like a standout player, looks like a dominant performer, and it's because everyone in the building – understands the plan that is laid out for this player yeah who's had the most success of any athletic quarterback over the last 15 years probably it's Colin Kaepernick you know almost winning a Super Bowl with the 49ers so you're the Ravens who do you have calling plays well how about Greg Roman the guy who was helping to call plays uh, for Colin Kaepernick so get somebody that's very comfortable there uh, in that scheme and and, uh, and very uh, very good fit there all right let's get to uh, my conversation with David Pelequin he's been at Notre Dame uh, going back to the year 2000 and and really been a part of some of the best team building. That's one of the things we like to focus on the Move the Sticks podcast. It's team building. doesn't matter necessarily. It always have to be NFL teams. We can look at college teams. Eventually, I'd like to, to branch out even to other sports. But just how you build your roster, how you build your team, and how do you identify the right people. Um, things that will be discussed here in the interview I had with David Pelequin from Notre Dame. hope you enjoy.
Well, David, first question for me, I want to get to uh, the, the reasons and, that you give kids to convince them to come to Notre Dame, but I want to start with, with your decision to attend Notre Dame. Why did you, you decide, to go to, decide to go to South Bend? Uh, you know, I was lucky. I had an older brother that was in school here, and you know how that older brother pressure goes. Sometimes uh, they put you in a headlock or uh, all the things that older brothers do, so that was kind of the key to come here, but in the end, it was really the combo of, uh, you know, the education that you get and, and the type of people that you're around here in Notre Dame. Oh, you've been there since 2000. And uh, why don't you just walk us through uh, your, kind of your evolution of your role and how it grew in this uh, in the personnel department space, which at that point in time, I got to believe, was pretty brand new around college football. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's been a, a, a fun journey, unique in its own way. Uh, you, you, you spot on right there. It, it's changed a lot over the years from a personnel standpoint and a recruiting standpoint. So I was, I was lucky enough and I started off as a, uh, a student manager. And so my sophomore and junior year, I worked with the quarterbacks. Uh, and then senior year, I was lucky enough to be the head senior manager. And at that, t- at that point, uh, I was on full scholarship. So you didn't have a lot of ops people or interns uh, we had one recruiting person, one ops person, and that was it with two GAs. So I was lucky enough to be a part of, of that staff. That was with Coach Tyrone Willingham at the time and uh, got out of out of sports, kind of was going to get in the financial world for a little bit, uh, played with that. Uh, and then it was lucky Coach Willingham called me back about seven, eight months later, asked if I want to come back as an intern. So again, it was it was myself two GAs, uh, support staff of five people at that, t- at that point running recruiting. And so worked with Tyrone on his staff uh, and then was lucky enough to stick around with Charlie Weiss and his group for five years and that staff. And then I'm going on year 10 here with Coach Kelly and his staff. So my, my, my role has changed. I've always had a little bit of uh, influence in recruiting from day one and still do today. And it's just kind of grown as I've been here through my years. I know your responsibility has grown, but how much more help is there in the department? You mentioned just a couple guys there when you started. How big is, is this staff and this department now for Notre Dame? You know, we, we, we put a lot, too, on our, on our students. We use them a lot in what we're doing. So, you know, including them, we have, we have six to seven full-time people that work in the recruiting office, shall we say, slash personnel um, that handle kind of the day-to-day operations from a recruiting standpoint and our personnel so that's gotten a lot better bigger and uh and obviously we we rely on our students to do everything that we do um coming in for game days when we have large groups of kids coming on campus you know we really do rely on them and they're a key component of what we're doing so it's definitely grown uh, the game hasn't changed a little bit it's just gotten a little bit bigger and, and more emphasis on it it's still you know we, we go back to the same questions we talked about 10, 15 years ago of, of the type of student athletes that you want in your program and the type of student athletes that, that will develop here at Notre Dame. So that, that course say is the same, you know, the recruiting aspect and the personnel aspect has changed. We really dial it into four different components, you know, prospect identification, prospect evaluation. Uh, and we talk about then the recruiting side of it, which would be marketing and customer service. We kind of compartmentalize all four of those, underneath the one unit of what we're trying to do when we're building the class here. Well, it's very fascinating. I'm interested to know how things have evolved and changed in terms of recruiting and what you guys are looking for. I was at that national championship game against Alabama, and I saw, you know, Alabama come out of the tunnel. I believe that was like DJ Fluker and Chance Warmack. I mean, this was a big physical offensive line uh, that you guys went up against. But if you put a marker in the ground after that game, and look at the offensive linemen you guys have been able to identify, uh, recruit, and develop once they got there on campus. I don't know if anybody's done it better than you guys have uh, since that period of time. What, was there any kind of a shift after that after that game, or uh, w- what changed where you guys are just pumping out elite first-round pick after first-round pick along the offensive line? Uh, yeah, it was an eye-opener. I mean, Coach Kelly said it before, and, and anybody that was on staff and part of that game um, – you could you could see the difference in the, in the physical size of, of what Alabama had to what we had and what we were playing with. Um, definitely, the the size standpoint was was key in what we were trying to do, and in, in setting those minimum criteria of what we were looking for. 
was was part was part of it. And I think the development phase of trying to get and project a little bit down the line of of the type of guys that we see. Okay, in year four and in year five, what will they be and how good of players they will be? In that line of of prospects that you're talking about, we really have been lucky of those guys, the Mike McGlinchey, the Quentin Nelson. Uh, you go to Ron and Stanley, Zach Martin, Nick Martin. That, those kind of those kind of guys uh, really kind of developed later in their career, which was good that we could get them in and then work on that physical development into their fourth and fifth years. I look at a guy like Quentin Nelson, and I remember obviously how physical he was for you guys there at Notre Dame. Oh, he's the best run blocker I've ever evaluated. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, I see what he's done at the NFL level, um, and I see him getting all over people. I'm curious – what the heck did he look like in high school <laughs> against 15 and 16 year old kids? Yeah. You know, going back to Quentin's kind of recruitment, uh, he, he came in the spring maybe of his junior year and he had those big, big broad shoulders and, and Quentin at that time was a, was a quiet, really kind of reserved aware of what was going on. Uh, but his dad, uh, Craig, who's, who's a, an awesome, awesome guy, and he really comes from an awesome family, Craig and Mary Ellen. And, and Craig had to have this personality to him, so you could see where where Quentin was going to get from a physical side of things, and, and then really just his passion for the game and being around it, and the eyes wide open when he was around one on ones and watching the technique. You know, it's hard when you're at practice; most kids don't want to sit around and 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 be there for two and a half hours and watch the end. And as guys are going back one-on-one, working on their pass sets, working on their run block situations, their hand placement, you know, Quinton's in there trying to soak up every last thing he could and then ask our O-line coach at the time every question, almost like pickling them with more and more where the O-line coach, you could almost see, was like, is this kid going to leave me alone or, or what? But that was just the passion that he had, <laughs> which, which, which you could see through the transition through Quinton played. It was just it, it came out and, and every down and every snap that he was on the field. Well, you guys have an identity as a tough football team. Uh, mentioned those offensive linemen on the defensive line. You've, you've pumped out some really good players as well. In terms of toughness, uh, is that recruited? Is that more about finding tough kids to bring them in, or is it more about developing that toughness in them once they arrive on campus? I, I'd say it's a it's a combination of both. I think when we're really going through our evaluation process, the equation and or the things that we're talking about, okay, what kind of family do they come from? Have they had adversity? Uh, What type of school do they come from? What is that program like? Is it structured from what the meetings are going to have to the weightlifting? So, so where is their football level? Okay. Coming in, in the door. And then is that, is that going to be a huge transition for them when they're here? And what, what the expectations and what we're putting in front of them, and then obviously having the confidence in our weight, weight, our strength and conditioning staff, uh, Coach Bayless, who's here now, is, it does a phenomenal job of talking about it and developing it on a day-to-day basis. And really, that toughness starts in January, the year before the season starts, in in the years before kids are even on the field of of talking about it. Uh, but even Coach Kelly is very adamant about this when we're in our staff meetings about tough gentlemen. He really, he believes in it and, and pushes it with our coaching staff of really finding those guys that can do both and that will be great representatives of Notre Dame, but show that toughness on the field. They show that toughness around school and what they're doing and, and the ability to grind a little bit to show, I know the, the hot word around programs is grit and how do you really determine that? Mm-hmm. And sometimes we, we look at the grind that they have. Are they getting up in the morning for school at 6 a.m. and they got to drive 45 minutes to, to school and they're there for zero period. And then after school's over, they're there for weight room and so forth. So some of that gets thrown in the equation of when we're talking and really, OK, what is the toughness of this young man that we're bringing in? Is there anything you guys look at as a program that's a that's a deal breaker that you'll say, OK, I don't care how good this kid is, if if this exists, then uh, we're out. Uh, he's not a Notre Dame type of guy. Are there some kind of hard and fast rules for you guys there? You know, it's really not a hard, fast rule um, set with one thing. I think Coach is great where he gives uh, – Coach Kelly gives everybody a chance to kind of chime in, okay? And, and, and that might mm-hmm. be our student ambassador that's with him 
during during the day that they're here on a trip. Uh, it could be myself, any one of our staff members. If they see something that doesn't fit, and, and obviously prospects mm-hmm. and families when they're going through the recruiting, they know they talk different to me than they do to the head coach, and and, and they talk and act a little different around our student students and or our student athletes. Uh, you know, going back to it, I guess the one knock or the one say would be our players. We put a lot of emphasis with mm-hmm. our players and their feelings. Do they fit in the locker room? What's their take? What's their feedback? So if a young man's here, did you like hanging out with them? Did you enjoy it? Did you see anything that happened? Did he fit in with the other guys? Was he by himself? Did, did Is there things? So that would be, I guess, the one is really the player feedback. And, and that's, again, a selling point, too, for us that we're we want these kids to be around kids that are similar to them, the same type of fit, the same type of culture that is at Notre Dame. Uh, I think they get a feel for it. And going back to our players, okay, did you feel that? Did you have any sense of, of them and or any question marks about them? Uh, we've talked a lot about th- this building this program and mentioned some of the great players you've had there. I'm just curious, not the best player uh, since you've been there. Who, who's the best leader at Notre Dame since you've, since you've been there? That's a, that's a tough question. We we really we had a lot of good ones over the years, and it, and it's it's funny that you say that. I was I was kind of acting as a, or I act as our pro liaison with with the NFL scouts that come in, and we have a really unique team this year with seven captains, and all seven ha- have kind of their own ability to to shape and, and lead this team that we're on right now. You know, over the years, it it, it really Zach Martin really kind of comes to mind. As, as far as the guy that mm-hmm. led from day one and really did everything he could do to build himself up and build his team with team being first. Uh, so, so that would be the one. And even it's hard to not include uh, Mike McGlinchey and Quentin Nelson as two guys. Uh, we're talking a lot of O-line, but, but those three guys over the mm-hmm. past, you know, five years or so really have kind of set the bar and what we're doing. And I think too, it helps. Uh, and we've learned through our team and our toughness, starts up front and so if our o-line is tough and they're tough and practicing every day that's going to help our d-line and really set the tone for practice and how how we want to be as a physical football team i got two more questions for you the first one this is a fun one we've had talking to a bunch of different folks that have been around the recruiting game be it coaches uh in the personnel department uh, what have you but just the best high school football player uh, that you've ever seen. It doesn't have to be somebody that came to Notre Dame, but just the, in terms of tape or seeing them live, just the best high school football player you've ever laid eyes on. Yeah. I, I go back. I mean, Gerald McCoy that played at Oklahoma, uh, we recruited him. We had him here on an official <laughs> visit. Uh, he by far was just, you know, almost dominant in high school. And it, it wasn't fair to the, the high school kids that he was going against. Um, so he he always sticks out to me. As far as that, that dominant player, uh, I thought Percy Harvin was 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 fi- far and above everybody else from a skill standpoint. Those two really stuck out at me, and, and they're a little farther back in, in a couple of years ago. But those those are the two that that jump out at me. I love that. I absolutely love it. All right, we, we've got a buddy that uh, we have on all the time, and, and you know him well, Brady Quinn. So I need I need some dirt. I need a story. I need something that I can give Brady Quinn a hard time about. What can you help me with here? Ooh, you know, Golden Boy's hard. It's hard to touch the, the Golden Boy Brady Quinn. Wait, hold on. Uh, First of all, that's what we call him now. Is he Golden Boy? Uh, I mean, he's a good-looking guy, and it's hard. You know, even comes around here, everyone goes, "Wow, he's a good-looking guy." And that's that's everyone around the football program. But uh, you know, I was I was a student when Brady was getting recruited out of high school. Um, so it, it, we, we had some good times with, with Brady and, and it actually his teammate, uh, Chinadu Nandukwe was from the same high school. So, so they would come around a bunch. Uh, it's hard to get, I mean, he's, he's a pretty stand up guy. I guess I could maybe throw some holes in his golf game, uh, but always dressing good. Looking oh, I'm, to the, I'm fine to with that. Part, yeah. You know, but it, it, maybe his golf game needs a little work. Maybe that's what, it, what we could say about Brady. <laughs> All right, I'm going to give him a hard time about that. I know Klatt's going to give him a hard time then because Klatt is uh, – I mean, he's calling golf now, so he's basically a 50-50 football golf guy. Uh, hey, man, I appreciate uh, so much your time today, and I do want to leave you with this. Um, you've got a great choice in names for your son, by the way. 
Uh, your son's name is DJ. Am well, I, I appreciate, am I getting that I appreciate that. Yeah, it rolls well there for you. Going to be a DJ. stud. Hey, I'll, I'll give you this yeah, too. Yeah, he's going to be really, a stud, you know, man. Your, your podcast, I, I hope so. Your podcast, I've used a bunch with our players when you've talked about kind of the position and the traits that you look for. I've given that, like our D-linemen, we have two really good D-linemen here. And your D-linemen about pass rush, that, that podcast you did, uh, you had a couple Super Bowl champions on there, some Hall of Famers. I've used that to give to those guys as they're trying to kind of fine-tone their craft and learn about getting to the better um, portions of being technical. So I've used that with them. So I appreciate you guys having me on and uh, a big fan, too, of, of what you guys are doing. Oh, that's very kind of you. I, I really appreciate that. I look forward to evaluating these guys as we get to the spring and look forward to catching up with you uh, down the road. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. That sounds good, DJ. Thanks for having me on. All right, Buck, it's so great to catch up with these guys. Uh, you know, really appreciate David's time. I think back to the interview we had just a couple weeks ago. Um, we've been able to talk to people from different organizations, be it, you know, Notre Dame or, or is it Ohio State. We, we've had guys from the top programs in the country come on and give us a little bit of that secret sauce, and I always feel like I learned something. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it, it's so informative because at the end of the day, DJ, like in our heart of hearts, we're scouts, and I think we all – still harbor those those aspirations and dreams of being able to put together a team. And so every time you have an opportunity to talk to someone who is in the mix, you're still trying to learn something. And so to hear him talk about, like, the way they put it together, whether it's recruiting, um, as it translates to, like, what we do when it comes to drafting, um, I just think there's so many similarities. And so, look, I was really impressed. I'm really impressed with the layout and the way they go about doing their business. And so I'm glad that we had a chance to have him on because I feel like I come away a smarter scout whenever we have these conversations. Now, fascinating to listen to him. Mark Pantone from Ohio State. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. I think you'll enjoy his uh, insights as well. Great look inside those programs and why they've been uh, so successful. All right, Buck, we've made it. It's uh, it's time for some hits and misses. I don't, Ken, I don't even know if we still have this drop anymore. We used to have a drop uh, we could roll in there, but we might not have that anymore. Kent, you there? Yeah, I'm here. I feel like I don't see it here, so we'll have to add the hits and misses down the line. If we do it again, we'll make sure to yeah. toss the drop. It's been a oh, while. Oh, we're doing it again. We'll do it again. We'll do it again. All right, but uh, as I mentioned, some people on Twitter said they wanted this back. So, Buck, I'm going to read you a report I got right and a report I got wrong. I'm not going to tell you the name. You've got to figure out who it is. Uh, no cheating if you're listening. Don't, don't get on, uh, don't get on uh, Google and try and look up who these guys are. I want you to figure it out yourself. All right, Buck, this is the 2017 draft class, okay? So we mm. talk about, what do we say, 40 starts before we can make a determination? We're not quite there, but we're close. What are we, right. 32, plus we've got four games. So we're 36 games into their careers. So I'm, I'm going to call it. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right, this guy's a running back, three-year contributor. Uh, Average-sized bulk for the position, but he's dripping with instincts, explosiveness, and versatility. As a runner, he's patient, lets his blocking develop before exploding through the line of scrimmage. Feet are always active, and he can avoid defenders in tight quarters because of his quickness. Uh, doesn't have push-to-pile power, uh, but once he builds up speed, he can run through tackles at the second and third level of defense. Outstanding in the passing game, runs clean routes, plucks the ball naturally. He'll excel in the screen game at the next level. In pass protection, he's an effective cut blocker. Overall, this player is perfect for the way the NFL game is played today. He's an explosive play waiting to happen. Ooh. Man, that's tough. Um, let's see. Because originally, 2017, I think this is the correct. No, 2018. Richard Penny came out what draft class? What class was that? Is he 18? Is he the 18 player? This Rashad is a, this is a, a hit, player. Buck. This is a hit. This is not a miss. This is a hit. Oh, it's a hit. You're saying Rashad Penny wasn't a hit? Um, I'm, uh, yes, this, actually this, I am. This, uh, thus is this, far. Is this, is, this a, is this a Christian McCaffrey or Alvin Kamara deal? Uh, no and no. And I believe Kent got in my ear, and that was his guess as well. So he was guessing Alvin Kamara. No. This player was not a first-round pick, but if you've been watching the NFL this year, oh, has he been playing like a first-round pick? Talking about Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook it is. There you go. Man, that's Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook was my 15th player, Buck. He was the 41st pick in that draft. That's going to end up looking like a steal for the Minnesota Vikings. Well, it was a steal, but you know, like I think other issues contributed to his fall outside of the first round. Oh, no. Uh, you remember all the no character doubt. stuff and – 
in that on, on the field. On the field, I, I, I think, and in fact, I, I wrote about him last week. I had him, uh, and I, I talking to people, I had some people who told me they had him as a better prospect than Leonard Fournette. And that was a big conversation. It was a big conversation. Wow. I remember actually. I remember you time. saying that back in the day. But in, in terms of the way the NFL game is played, he is a more kind of multi-dimensional NFL back. He can catch the ball out the backfield, screen game. We've seen how he's been able to blend into this outside zone scheme that they're running, uh, which is really coming off of the Kubiak system. Look, man, everything that you talked about him is is absolutely correct. I think his best football is ahead of him, even though he's had an ACL in the past. I could just see this guy blowing up and being really one of the elite runners in our game. All right, that was a that was a hit, Buck. Uh, this one, not so much. Uh, like a like mm. a mulligan on this one. You ready? Yep. All right, this player is a one-year. This is, again, there's so many. Like, when you read these things on misses, there are so many warning flags in these misses, and it just, it just shows you that I'm an idiot because you didn't pick up on it. All right, here we go. Uh, one-year starter at offensive tackle. That's a warning sign. Uh, good size and length for the position and pass pro. Quick out of his stance, he bends naturally. A sharp, tight punch and firm anchor. Does get caught oversetting at times, which is produces some inside pressure on the quarterback. Uh, good football awareness considering his limited experience. In the run game, as knockoff power shows some nasty to finish to and through the whistle. Uh, does get overextended at times, but I love his tenacity. Overall, this player has some things to clean up, but he has starting left tackle ability. Ooh, what year is this again? This is 2017. We're living in the 2017 Ooh, draft class today. 2017. Hmm. It's tough for me. Like the hits or misses, is not it's not my forte because uh, I know. I need, I need I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's a tough spot to be in for you. I'm pulling, pulling. Names well, think about, think about this guy. Drafted. I'm gonna give you. You want some hints? You want some hints? Drafted. Okay. Yeah, this player, Buck. This player was my 25th overall player. He was hmm. the 20th pick in that draft and has had quite the struggle in his NFL career, to say the hmm. least. Is it uh, AFC West? Yeah, uh, AFC West. Who's that? Colton AFC West. DJ, you're not helping me, dude. Uh, no. Colton Miller, I believe, was 2018 draft class. So uh, okay, you can now I see. cross that one yeah, off. This is 2017. You know, but you know, this player, yeah, you know, I believe, I get it, has I get led it, the league in now. holding penalties. See, now that's all you had to say because then I can say Garrett Bowles. But yeah, like you gotta, Garrett you gotta give you more. Yeah, because he he struggled. <laughs> no, and I I, I got to make this hard. I took I took a I took a screenshot one day. I was I was here and I was watching TV and I, maybe on another network, they were talking about his struggles in holding it. Like I mean, the amount of holding penalties that he has drawn, wow, it's a so, problem. But you know, so there's here's the thing phrase. about Garrett Bowles in in the evaluation. There were some questions about his strength. Already, and people yeah. kind of passed it by because he was so athletic. Yeah, he's not strong, but he's so athletic he can move. But at some point, it ends up being a man's game where you got to play in the phone booth. And he wasn't strong enough to kind of hold yep. his own. And what you're seeing is because he's not strong enough, he has to clutch and grab. And that's kind of like why mm -hmm. you're seeing so many penalties from him. He doesn't have the anchor. He doesn't have the ability to kind of sit, drop his weight, and slow people down that are bull rushing him. And so it leads to a lot of penalties. And he's really been – a killer for this offense. All right, so this is a good, a good assignment. This is like uh, um, if you had scouting school students, okay? So when you go back through with a red pen and and read this report, right? Let me give you the let me give you the warning signs. Like there's a phrase I was talking to a coach the other day. He said, "Losing leaves clues." So when you see a team that's losing or an organization that's losing, if you're around that team, around that organization, go around the building, go to practice. He said, you'll see the clues of why these teams aren't any good. Um, and this is the same thing with the report, right? One-year starter, that's a, that's a concern. Uh, gets caught oversetting, that's a concern. Um, mm. Does get overextended at times, that's a concern. And then in the final line, which is the overall summary, the final sense of the report – has some things to clean up, but he has starting ability. Well, how about you don't take a player with that many things to clean up in the first round? How about that? How about we don't rake him as my 25th overall player when he has so many things to clean up? Uh, and that is uh, losing leaves clues and bad reports leave clues as well, Buck. Yeah, it, it, it's hard because you have to believe 
you have to hang your head on something. You have to hang your head on the research that is done in the background. If you have too many reasons or too many things to kind of pop up as being caution, just caution lights. They may not be red flags, but yep. they're just like caution lights. You're like, uh, I can blow through it. At some point yep. where there's smoke, there's fire. And so as you investigate them and as you're tying all these things together, sometimes it's better to pass and go to the next one. Even though he's a very, very talented player, uh, sometimes he can't get out of his own way. And some of that stuff um, was identified in the run-up to the draft in those scout reports. Yeah, I mean, there, look, there are some, there's some things to like. He's a very talented player. Just um, he had issues in college, and those have have showed up. And I also think offensive line, one-year starter, offensive lineman, uh, that's a major red flag. Um, you can go back through a lot of misses, and you'll find that um, that being the case. Uh, all right, Buck, uh, some college games this weekend, some interesting ones. Oh, just a couple players maybe want to focus on here. I know Jordan Love, who we've talked about a bunch, uh, he gets a big opportunity. They go take on LSU, Utah State at LSU. Uh, that's a big one. And all those Ohio State kids we've talked about, Michigan State will give them a little bit of a test. And uh, Auburn, Florida should be a fun one as well. Yeah, Auburn, Florida should be a really, really fun one. Um, anytime, uh, you know, like as a, as a scout, you have an opportunity to look at the SEC, that is – known as the kind of like the the major market when it comes to producing the top talent. So anytime I get a chance to see these guys in a game, I want to check it out. Derek Brown is the guy that obviously everyone's going to pay attention to. Big-time talent, the best prospect at Auburn. You want to see how he holds up, not only um, as a pass rusher, but you want to see is he stout and sturdy against the run? Can he disrupt? Can he wreak havoc? Can he do all of those things that you want? your premier people to do. That's why you have to keep your eyes on him in this game. Yeah, that's that's a good one. I'll tell you what, one other player I just want to highlight. I got a chance to dig in and study Javon Kinlaw from uh, from South Carolina. A bunch of people that have been going through there have been telling me, look, dude, you got it. You're going to have fun watching this kid. And he is good, man. He has got some serious torque and upper power. He's got a great get off. This is a defensive tackle who's 6'5 plus, um, 300 plus, and can really move. I mean, there's some uh, – uh, there's like some Richard Seymour type stuff uh, to his game. Uh, just a powerful, explosive, and everybody says he's got long arms. So what do you see this kid in person? Um, he is a big time, uh, big time dude. So uh, top top 20 pick. I would I would hang my hat on that at this point in time. Just a, a fun player, really good player there for the Gamecocks. Love man, South Carolina in the, in the SEC. There's just so much talent, and so you got to tune in those games. Those guys are built a little differently. They're a little more like physically just built differently. And so there's a reason why each year in the draft, when we reflect, we see so many SEC guys go in the top two or three rounds. It's just because, man, just the, the caliber athlete, the caliber football player that they're dealing with is a little different than what is what is available across, across the country. No doubt. Um, all right. The uh – I guess we've got some fan questions, huh? We know we uh, we encourage people, if you go on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review on there, if you drop a question in your review, uh, we'll get to those on uh, our Thursday podcast, which is where we are today. So I think we've got a couple questions. Can't you, uh, you know, fire these off to us? Yeah, let's go. The first one, who are some assistant GMs, directors of player personnel, pro or college, that we should have on our radar for GM jobs in the next few years? Ooh. Ooh, Buck, go ahead. I'll let you go first. Well, normally what you do is you normally try and post teams, uh, successful teams. I think the name that is going to get a lot of buzz from Indianapolis, Ed Dodge Jr. It's not Ed Dodge Jr. I don't know yeah. why I said Jr. Ed Dodge. Ed Dodge is a guy that's going to get a lot of attention because he has been there. He has some of the Seattle pedigree. He's been able to build it up. He saw how they were able to put together a Super Bowl winner in Seattle. He has joined up with Chris Ballard. What they've been able to do in Indianapolis in a really short time has really been very, very impressive. And because he has seen it a couple of different ways, because he's done it with a quarterback, he's doing it right now. I wouldn't say without a quarterback, but with a, a lesser known quarterback and they're still putting it together. That experience is vital. And then the fact that he kind of cut his teeth in the college game, I think gives him an advantage over some of the other guys that are going to be up for some of these GM jobs. Yeah, and we see these kind of, you know, there's always certain organizations um, where you see kind of an influx of guys. Like, the, I'll tell you what, the Philadelphia Eagles, when you look at all the GMs that have come out of there, 
Um, there's a bunch of them over the years, and it seems like whoever's the number two guy there has gone on to be a, a GM, most recently with Joe Douglas. We've seen it with Jason Light. Uh, we saw it with Heckert uh, previously. Uh, a bunch of guys have come out of that role. I mean, Joe Banner was there. He went on to be uh, the GM there with the Browns. I, I would I would give you a bunch of names in that personnel department. I think they're really good. They're guys, a lot of guys I've worked with and I've known, um, but I know have good reputations around the NFL. Andy Weidel, who stepped into the role Joe Douglas was in, uh, Andy's going to get it. He'll be a GM probably next year. Um, you've also got uh, uh, Ian Yates Cunningham, who's there. TJ McCrate's there. Uh, Jeremiah Washburn, who's coached a long time. He's now back in the personnel department. I think all those guys, when it's all said and done, will end up being GMs. Um, some other names, I mean, a guy you know, Joe Shane, who you were with in, uh, in Carolina. Joe's with the Buffalo Bills, who've done a nice job. Yeah, of, like, uh, yeah, Joe, Joe, Joe. And that team? Yeah, Joe, yeah, JoJo is uh, ready to go. JoJo's assistant general manager up that way. He has experience. He's bounced around a few different organizations where you've been able to see different team building um, philosophies kind of come to fruition. But the fact that the Buffalo Bills have been very, very competitive, they've kind of rebuilt it from the ground up. They've done it with a young quarterback that they found in Josh Allen. They surrounded him with pieces. This team has a defense that's dynamic and explosive, really with a cast of no names that some on the outside would say. I think that speaks volumes about um, the drafting and developing and then even adding uh, some supplemental free agents. I think that is terrific. So JoJo is definitely a guy who is on the radar. I think even on their staff, I think there's another guy in Lake Dawson who has been up for GM jobs in the yep. past. And Lake D and I came up together in Seattle. Um, he knows the game. He has been a part of it. He was at Tennessee. He was a vice president of pers- player personnel. So he may get another opportunity. But I think the common denominator is when you look at the successful teams and you look at the ones that have been able to do it consistently over time, naturally owners' eyes gravitate towards those franchises because the model stability is what you want. And if you can get it where they're able to do kind of that homegrown draft and develop model, it makes it all better because it makes economical sense to build your team that way. I know we got to get to one more question. The other two names I would throw out, Adam Peters is with the uh, San Francisco 49ers. They're off yes. to a good start. His name's going to be hot. And I would also keep an eye on Milt Hendrickson, uh, who had been in Baltimore and who's with the Green Bay Packers as their number two. The Packers are off to a good start, did a great job in free agency in the draft. So uh, some more names to keep an eye on there. we got one more question here, uh, Kent. What we got? Yeah, one more. It's to the Atlanta Falcons. The Falcons have been disappointing this season. It seems like the talent is there, but it doesn't translate to on-field wins. What is the solution to fixing the Falcons? Mm. Two words, pass rush. Pass rush, yeah. Buck. I mean, I know they've got a great player in Grady Jarrett. Unfortunately, the guys that they've spent money on and spent high picks on to rush the passer off the edge just haven't got it done. Yeah, like it's, it's a weird thing. But you know what? I'm, I'm going to say that this goes all the way back to the Super Bowl year. And I think, like, we can talk about, like, the personnel and the coaching and all of that stuff. Um, what happened, I think the players have lost a little bit of the trust and the faith in the coach after they failed to win it uh, the way that they want it. And I think sometimes it's hard to put the genie back in the bottle because they made so many sacrifices to put themselves in a position to be, look, up on the New England Patriots, dominating the New England Patriots, letting them come back, but then putting themselves in a position where a field goal kind of ices the game. I think when you, you mess that up, I think it's hard to get that back. And I think it happened in Atlanta. I think it happened in Seattle where Pete eventually had to get rid of those guys that were so outspoken about the way that they lost the Super Bowl when they elected not to hand the ball to Marshawn Lynch and Russell Wilson threw the ball and it was intercepted. Sometimes, even though the players are performing at a high level, for Dan Quinn to get the locker room back, to get new guys to buy into his message, he may have to flush out some of those guys that may still look at him sideways a little bit because they didn't finish it off the way they should have finished it off with all the sacrifices that they made. Well, I'll tell you what, you can do it the Seattle way uh, where you flush out the roster, keep the coach, uh, or you can do it the other way, which is where you, you keep, the, keep the players and flush the coach because, you know, the thing about Pete, Buck, Pete had a Super Bowl. Pete already yeah. had won one. Yeah. So if Pete hadn't won one, maybe that organization makes a decision to say, hey, they can't, they, you know, there's a trust issue here, so we got to get rid of the coach. These players have somebody they trust. But Pete already won a title. Unfortunately for Dan Quinn, he doesn't have that. So when you don't have that title, it's like the old saying, it's a lot easier to fire the coach than to fire the team. Yeah, it is. And it, it looked as tough because I think DQ is a great 
I think he's a great coach. And I think he had that thing trending, and some of the stuff that they've done to develop their young players is terrific, but they haven't been able to get it done. Now, you speak about something. Everyone has a blind spot when it comes to the evaluation. And right now, they have a blind spot when it comes to being able to identify pass rushers. Look, I like Big Beasley coming out, and I can say now that, look, he hasn't played the way that I thought he would play as a pro outside of that one Pro Bowl year that he had. And so they – going back-to-back a few different times, trying to get a pass rusher, trying to get someone that can dominate on that turf, and they haven't been able to do it. And so without the horses up front, it makes it hard to play good defense in this league because offensively they have enough firepower to certainly be able to put points up, but defensively they have to have a team that can play downhill, meaning they can play with the lead, close it out, finish games, but the pass rushers hunting and acting as the closers. Yeah, no, it's a very good point. I, I was thinking about this. What year was that? Vic Beasley, was that 15? I think that was, uh, was that the 2015 draft? Yeah, it was. Yeah, so I remember, you remember Fowler. us having that debate? Yeah, yep. we had the uh, Dante Fowler. That's what I was remembering. Vic Beasley and Buck. Gosh, you were smoking me on that debate for so many years. And now Dante Fowler, it's like he's like the horse that's like half a track length behind. And he's closing <laughs> the gap. He's closing the gap quick. But, hey, but you know what? I thought that I was one, done. I thought I lost that one. But once again, that, speak, that speaks to fit in scheme. In Jacksonville, for whatever reason, it wasn't yep. working. He gets to L.A. He's dealing with the Rams. Wade Phillips is a guy who is known to being able, for being able to put pass rushes in prime spots. It has worked for him. And so sometimes it is the player. Sometimes it's the scheme. Sometimes it's a combination of both. I think for Dante Fowler, he has found his sweet spot. That's why you begin to see him produce to the level um, that he was drafted at when he was a top five pick. I don't know. Pretty interesting there. All right. Uh, football's back. Watch live local primetime NFL games for free all season long with the Yahoo Sports app or the official app of the NFL on your phone or tablet. Plus, get all your latest breaking news, highlights, and more. Download the NFL app or the Yahoo Sports app in your app store or at NFL.com slash mobile today. Certain restrictions and data rates may apply. Speaking of Yahoo, you heard me mention him a little bit earlier. Kent uh, back on the uh, on the Move the Sticks podcast helping us out here. Kent also doing some work over at Yahoo. Kent, good to have you back, buddy. Yeah, it's great to be back. This year we're not doing the college picks, but I think you guys realized that became a losing effort for both of you, so it just didn't make <laughs> it sense was. to keep you dominated that going. Those. But, yeah, you dominated. But I will you say, yeah, we, Bucky's boys beat my Miami Hurricanes, the Tar Heels, so he has me one up on that this year. Nearly locked, nearly knocked off Clemson last week as well, which is impressive. But, uh, yeah, it's great being back with you guys. I'm at Yahoo for most of the week. I'll be helping you guys with a bunch of stuff, including it's never too early to start looking ahead at, like, the MTS 360 guys and research and all that good stuff. Yep. So I'll be active here with the NFL podcast team again, and certainly when I can with you guys here at Move the Sticks. But I'm glad to be back. Glad to I love back, that. Man. And, Kent, I just want to remind you r- real quick, buddy, just um, if you do the math, the fact that, that the Hurricanes lost to the Tar Heels and App State <laughs> beat the Tar Heels, technically my school is better than your school. I'm just <laughs> You know what? Right <laughs> now they are. <laughs> if they played Saturday, I'm pretty sure App State probably wins. Uh, that's funny. Uh, we got to get South Carolina in a couple weeks, man. I just got to get through that one. Then I'm ho- then I'm maybe I'm gonna be gloating like there's nobody's business. Um, anything uh, anything you're working on, Buck? You want to add before we jump out of here? Nah, man, just normal stuff. I'm gonna take a deep dive on Garner Minshew just to figure out what are the lessons that scouts could learn from his rise up the charts uh, in Jacksonville. Uh, good stuff. Be on the lookout for that NFL. Dot com slash Bucky Brooks. You can find his notebook each and every week. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys so much for listening, for downloading. Remember, all the uh, video content, NFL.com slash MTS video, or check us out on the new YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash NFL podcast. That's going to do it for us. He's Bucky Brooks. I'm Daniel Jeremiah. Nice to have Kent back. We'll see you next time. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.